This Sunday, we started our new study, which is obviously 1 Corinthians. Very excited about that. Lord willing, we'll be in 1 Corinthians all the way until the end of February, studying it both on Sundays and on Wednesdays. There are two main outline points to our lesson today. One is the opening pleasantries, which we actually covered on Sunday, but I'm going to review for those that weren't there or for those of you that have slept since then. The second main point is the opening preview. So Roman numeral number one, the opening pleasantries is verses one through three. Verses four through nine would be the opening preview. And uh, follow along, I'm going to read the first three verses. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these beautiful words that you inspired the Apostle Paul to pen. I pray that we would study and focus and that we would grow in Christ-likeness because of our time together. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now, every word is purposeful in the Word of God. God just didn't randomly have Paul throw out words like grace and peace because he felt like it. He had a point he was trying to get across. And in our open... Uh, opening pleasantries, we first see A, the writers, and the writers are Paul and Sosthenes. Now, both Paul and Sosthenes hold a special place in the heart of the church at Corinth. Peter himself could have written a book like this, but Peter doesn't know this church like Paul knows this church. Paul is called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And we talked about on Sunday, an apostle must meet two requirements. One, they must have seen the risen Lord. So the local churches that have apostolic ministries and things along those lines, they are saying that they have, those men or women, have seen the risen Lord. But then you also must be called as an apostle, right? Called as an apostle, and we know this is a very special group. It was a close-knit group. Jesus lived his perfect life, and he chose men to be his disciples. There were 12 of them, in fact, right? One betrayed Jesus, so then they replaced him in the beginning part of Acts. And then later on, Paul, as he was persecuting the church, saw the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, and he was called as an apostle. So very few, 12 or 13 uh, around in there that were actually genuine apostles. And they were there for the early part of the church to bring forth the message, to do miraculous things, to confirm the word of God, to get people's attention, to plant churches and to teach them how to do what they should do, receiving direct revelation and recording it often in scripture. The apostolic age was a special time and it is now over. We no longer have apostles, but Paul calls himself an apostle. Why? Because he wanted to have a really cool title. He wanted to remind the church, this church is struggling. 
this church is battling itself. And he says, look, God has sent me by his will to do his work. And as part of that work, I am writing you a letter. And I am sending it to you because I want you to read it. And that sin that you're doing, I want you to stop it. You are besmirching the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in this wicked pagan city that you live in. I want you to stop it. And I am calling you to do this by the will of God. Paul was the one we saw in Acts 18 that had first brought the gospel there. He taught in the synagogue, which was the Jewish church, so to speak. And he preached the good news. And even the synagogue leader became a follower of Jesus Christ. And people loved Paul and they loved Jesus. But then there's others that hated him. And they rejected the message overall. So then he went to the Gentiles and he preached the good news to the Gentiles. He stayed there for about a year and a half, teaching them, guiding them. We think of missionaries, they pop in and they pop out and bada bing, they're gone. He was there for a year and a half, teaching them, praying with them, modeling the life of Christ, teaching people how to study the word and how to understand it. But then a man, most likely Sosthenes, became the new synagogue leader and he had Paul arrested. And when he went before the government there, they didn't care. And they said, why are you bothering with me with this Jewish stuff? Get out of here. Well, Paul went along his way and Sosthenes was then beaten by his fellow Jews. And some point, time or another, maybe it was that moment that the Lord used him to save him. He becomes a follower of Jesus and now he's with Paul. It could be that he's not allowed to go back to Corinth or they would kill him because they saw him as a traitor. But to the church at Corinth, he was special. He was precious. An apostle is writing to them and one of their own. One of their own. That's the writers. B would be the reader. Who's receiving this letter? Well, it's the church at Corinth. To the church of God at Corinth. And knowing there are many difficult things going on inside of this church, Paul wants to build them up and he wants to remind them of who they are and what God has done for them. He calls them sanctified in Christ Jesus. Look, true believers that are inside of this church, you were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You have been set apart. You are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are saints by calling. Saints, but you are holy ones. And like your Father who is holy, you are to be holy yourself. And he calls them sharers in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He's appealing to the fact that they're part of the universal church. They're all followers of Jesus. And what should followers of Jesus do? They should be like him. A Christian is a little Christ. Church at Corinth, do not forget, you're not here for yourself. You're not here to get yours. You're not here to get your way and to do your thing. You are here, sanctified, saints, part of the fellowship to further the gospel. 
to advance God's kingdom. Then we see C, the respects. And what do we mean by the respects? This would be a formal expression of greeting or friendship. To you, it would be like, hey, I know it's they're far more in depth back then with their greetings, but here we are, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, each word is inspired. It's not accidental. Grace, unmerited favor. Paul writes to them, and knowing that there are some big things he needs to correct, he says, I want to start with this. I, you have the grace of Christ. I want you to have it even more. You have been saved by grace. I want you to experience God's love and his mercy and his goodness, especially because you don't deserve it. And I want you to have peace. Leon Morris says that peace here is not just the absence of strife, but the presence of positive blessings. If you're an unbeliever tonight, you have no peace. What's going to happen when you die? Where are you going to go? The unbeliever, you're still at war with God. But the believer, you have laid down your weapons and you have kneeled, submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Now you are part of God's kingdom. You're on the winning side. Your place in heaven is secured forever. You are at peace with your maker, but you're also at peace with your fellow man. You're at peace. You don't have to worry or be anxious, jealous, or greedy, any of those things. You have God's peace. And he wants this church to remember because this church is at war with one another. And he says, experience God's favor, which you don't deserve, and peace. But where in the world are you going to get those two things? Oh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to get peace from that lawsuit that you have against your Christian brother. You're not going to have peace from all of that money, that wealth that you have accrued. You're not going to have peace from those things, but you can get it from God. And that's what we would call the opening pleasantries. All right, he's not riding in with a flaming sword of rebuke. He's being kind and gentle and gracious. Now we get to the opening preview. And this preview is going to give us a glimpse into the rest of the book. Starting out in verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you. Which is interesting, right? Don't you feel like it's a, a little bit ironic? Some would say, Leon Morris says, in view of his criticisms of the church at Corinth, some feel that this particular thanksgiving is ironic. There seems no real basis for being thankful. Paul does not give thanks, though, for qualities in the Corinthians like faith and love, but he gives thanks for what God's grace has done in them. This is common for Paul to write that he's thankful for the church at Colossae. That he's thankful for those at Thessalonica. But in Thessalonica, he's thankful for their testimony and their conversion in Christ. For other churches, he's thankful for their advancement of the gospel or their zeal for God's word. Here, he's thankful, but he's simply thankful for what God has been doing in their life. The theme of this book is correction and condemnation. And it seems ironic that he would start out with thankfulness before he's going to correct them and condemn them. 
Well, there are genuine believers in this church. So that means that there is genuine hope. And Paul's not just writing this, keeping his fingers crossed. He's praying and he's weighing out his words carefully, wanting to call and draw these fellow believers to repentance. But what's so bad about Corinth? Well, we know the city itself is icky gross. All right, you had all sorts of prostitution and idolatry and yuck gross stuff. And this church was plopped right in the middle of it. And there's a temptation to look like everybody else and do what everyone else is doing. But there were divisions. And you're familiar with this, right? Some would say, I am of Paul. You're like, well, is that a bad thing? But others say, oh, well, you follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And we'll talk about this on, what day is today? Wednesday, Sunday. Well, no, no, you follow Paul, and you follow Apollos. Well, I follow Jesus. And all of those have their own little special connotation to it, but it was, it was divided. It, it would be like, look, uh, I, am a, I am of Edwin. What Edwin says and what Edwin does and how Edwin dresses, I am of Edwin. And someone else says, no, I am of James. I will grow that mustache, all right? Or no, I am of, of Michael or of Max or whatever it is. You even think of our church and our leadership, okay? I love the children's ministry. I am of Joe. I am of the best ministry, youth ministry. I am of Justin. I am of the college ministry. I have a brand new, and all those things. And it's just, it's silly, right? Because we're all essentially what? We're on one church. We're on one team. We're on one team. It's football season. We love football season. You want to be unified with your football team. I mean, you have a huddle. And why do you have a huddle? So that you can all get on the same page. And the coach calls in a play. And the quarterback says what the coach says. And everyone knows, as confusing as that, right, trips, X, wing, zoom, cross, wheel. And they all go, all right, let's go. We got it. Okay? Or they act like they know what it is. But imagine if the coach calls in the play. And the quarterback's, well, I don't want to run that. I'm just, okay, let's do this, guys. We're going to go right, twin, 68, wheel. Well, and the center goes, well, I don't want to do that. I want to run 32 power. Well, I don't care what you want to care. Well, you know what? You're not getting the ball, buddy. I got to snap it to you. I'm not snapping it to you. I'm snapping it to him. Him, he can't throw. All right? And in disaster. I want a running play. I want a passing play. You all have to be on the same page and doing the same things. Well, a church divided. That's a problem. It's a problem. Selfishness, bitterness. You think of even where you sit and who you talk to and what you do. Look, God doesn't care what school you go to or what sport you play or what sport you don't play or whatever it might be. Unified in Christ. He doesn't care where you live or how big your house is and stuff like that. No divisions because we are unified in Christ. There's also sexual immorality. And we'll get there to 1 Corinthians 5. Talked about this when we talked about um, church discipline. There's a guy who is sleeping with his stepmom. And the church, imagine that. The church, nothing. And Paul's like, what are you thinking? Get rid of that dude. Put him, put him out. Be done with him. Christians were suing other Christians. They were taking their issues to pagan authorities. It's not saying that you, you can't use the law for your protection. 
all right, which, you know, conveniently some fun things are happening with that bus company that, uh, that didn't show up on us and things like that. Lawyers are helpful in those circumstances, all right, getting some good news on that. But as a Christian, I got an issue with you. Shouldn't we go to the church leadership and work this out? Why do we have to, to bring Christian things into that realm? Abuse of the Lord's table. They were having feasts, and at these feasts, they were taking communion. But the rich people were valued more than the poorer people. People were taking it with not the right heart and not the right attitude. The poor people would get off work, and they would show up late, and there wouldn't be anything for them. There were people abusing the Lord's table, and they were dying because of it. I mean, that's how bad things were at the church at Corinth. They were abusing spiritual gifts. People were making up, this would never happen these days, were making up that they had tongues and they really didn't have tongues. People were jealous. I want to be a pastor. Why can't I teach? Why can't I do this? And oh, I wish I had that. And Paul reminds them, look, we're all one body. It doesn't matter if you're a nose hair or a freckle on the ear or a toe. We all have a, per- I don't know if a freckle has, maybe it does, all right. We all have a purpose and it's not one is better than the other. There is the corruption of the resurrection. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is the, one of the greatest sources of truth we have about the resurrection. And you've probably heard this verse before, you, but you probably haven't put it in the correct context. For uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, I almost read chapter 14. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Well, what is it talking about? Chapter 15 is about the resurrection. There were some people within the church that were denying the resurrection. It didn't really happen. Or there's not going to be another one. And what they're saying is, look, you can't have that as a church. You rub elbows with the people that are teaching that stuff? Mm-mm, no way. Those morals that they have... That they would turn to blind eye to the truth of the resurrection. You want no part with those people. They will corrupt you. This is not a good situation. Not a healthy church. But there are genuine people that genuinely love Jesus. And you're like, well, how? How does, how does that work? All right. Well, we know as we get to the next part of this, but that there are true Christians here. And we know that as Christians, that we all still sin. We still make willful, sinful decisions, even though we have the Holy Spirit. The characteristic patterns of our life should be Christ's righteousness, and we'll weigh that out, right? But we still say things we shouldn't say. And sometimes we still watch things and do things that we shouldn't do. And there are people that Paul loves And he wants to call them back to repent. You think of David and Bathsheba. You think of how he even had Uriah murdered. There are examples of Christians doing things that are not right and not good. Well, this is a church. And there are good people here that really love Jesus. But they need help and guidance. So Paul is giving thanks, as I mentioned, for what God has done. And that's uh, letter A on your outline. What God has done. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God 
which was given you in Christ Jesus. And immediately we go to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, that not of yourself, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, we understand that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were hateful, hating one another, walking according to the prince of the power of the air, separated from the righteousness of God. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son to live a perfect life, to die the substitutionary death on the cross, to raise again, and to rescue us from our sin. And while we could never earn our salvation, we don't have to. We simply turn from our sin and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's grace. That's grace. And these people that he's writing to, they have experienced God's grace. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. At that moment of salvation, that grace was already given to you. And then he goes on to say, and to show us, and this is B on your outline, the result of what God has done. The result of what God has done. And every one of these conveniently start with the letter E. Or do they? You be the judge. Number one, the first result is God's enrichment. God has enriched these believers and all believers. He says that in everything you are enriched in him. And it's a simple word, right? To make rich, to abound. And specifically, how are they enriched? He says, first of all, in all speech. In all speech, I know what to say. I know to speak God's word and to speak God's truth. And I know how to talk with love and graciousness and mercy and purity, not in unwholesomeness. He has enriched me in all speech so that I know what I need to say. You think of Matthew 10, 19. Jesus told his disciples, but when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. Now some of you apply that to your history exam. I'm not going to study. Because at the moment when I need it. God's going to zap me with that. No, no, it's not what he's talking about here. I mean imagine these apostles going out. And being dragged in front of kings. And in front of governors. And proconsuls and all of that stuff. You get your heart racing a little bit right. How am I going to defend myself? What am I going to do? Just don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will guide you, all right? Christian, be rooted and grounded in God's word, and you know what to say because you're simply repeating what the word of God has been teaching us. So in all speech, but also in all knowledge. And you're like, ooh, I like that one. That, that again, isn't going to help you on your history test. But you know who God is. You know God's plan. Think of that for a moment. You know that Jesus is coming back. He's going to rapture his church. You know there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. You know he's returning again. There's a millennial kingdom. You know after that there's a new heaven and a new earth. You know so much. That knowledge. And we can take that for granted. Can't we? Jesus said, 
I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, but you have revealed them to infants. God has chosen the believer, and he has given him special knowledge. And your parents have been teaching you, and the children's building, the, the ministries going on here from Awana to VBS and all those things. And then you get into youth, and we're teaching you the word of God. And sometimes you feel like you don't know much, but you have so much knowledge. What are you going to do with that? Just keep it? You're going to share it. And what Paul is reminding the Corinthians is you have so much. Some of the people at the church are rich. Some of them are very poor. And the message is, rich people, your richness don't matter except what you have in Christ. Poor person, you're rich too. Because what God has given to you. Secondly, we see God's endorsement. And what do I mean by that? This assurance of salvation that we have from being in Christ Jesus. You see the word confirmed, which means to establish or to make sure. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established, confirmed in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. His grace gives us an assurance of salvation. Look at verse 6. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, I know church. I know that y'all are struggling. I know that you've made bad decisions. But your profession is genuine and it is real. And time will bear this out in your life and in your heart. Because I know because you're saved, you're going to do the right thing. You're going to make the changes that you need to make. And having that assurance of salvation, I don't have to wonder if I am saved or not. God's endorsement is through Paul here. That their testimony is real and genuine. Thirdly, we see God's equipment. And you immediately think of Ephesians 6, right? And you're like, oh, the armor of God, sword of the spirit, helmet of salvation. Yeah, great. Yeah, all that stuff. He says this, that you are what? In verse 7, you are not lacking in any gift. You have his written word. You have the Holy Spirit. You have love, joy, peace, patience, self all of that stuff. You have it. Everything and anything that you need, you have it. Remember the, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, We'll perfectly keep all the commandments. And he goes, Yeah, I got that. And Jesus says, One thing that you are lacking, go sell all your possessions and follow me. And he wasn't preaching a workspace salvation. He knew that this man loved what more than Jesus? His money, his objects, his possessions. So the man went away sad. He was lacking genuine and true faith. We, Christians, we don't lack anything. We don't lack anything. We have exactly what we need. Can we forget that? Yeah. 
whether it's life situation or, or whether it's something about ourselves personally, physically, whether it's a material thing, whether we don't think we're smart enough or whatever it might be, we are not lacking in any gift. God has genuine, uh, generously given to us. Fourthly, the result of what God has done is God's eagerness. Awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, this is not our home. This is not our home. When things go bad, do you look heavenward? We're going to live in heaven. Where there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth one day we're going to live. No pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no sin. That's our true home. Peter describes us as strangers and aliens. And so we eagerly wait for Jesus to come back. Won't that be awesome when he calls us up in the clouds with him? Hold on to that. Meditate. Think about it. When you're young, you don't. When you're old, you do. But now develop that heavenward mindset. His grace gives us an eagerness for his return in his kingdom. Well, fifthly, is God's investment. Just go with it, people, okay? There's no, there's no spell check on your piece of paper. What is God's investment? Verse 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What do I mean by that? Why is that God's investment? Christian, God chose you. God saved you. He rescued you. He called you and drawed you to himself. And he didn't do it just for you to run around and please yourself with sinful desires. He paid down. He paid with the blood of his own son. And he will be faithful to you. Do you really believe that God is faithful? That he works out all things for the good of those who love him? That he is ruler, sovereign, powerful, almighty? Do you know that there's things our faithful God has said, don't do? And what do we do? We do them anyways. And there's things he said, do these. And we don't do them. God is faithful. What he says he will make good on. He has given us a path to live our life. His faithfulness. He has called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He has chosen us to be on his team. We're in his family. We're in his kingdom. What kind of soldier are you? What kind of teammate are you? I'm going to submit to him and follow him. Well, as we conclude, there's just two things I want you to take away. First of all, I want you to be ready to learn. Be ready to learn. Right? Are you confused about the gift of tongues? 1 Corinthians. Are you struggling with singleness and marriage? 1 Corinthians. Struggling with immorality? 1 Corinthians. You struggling with what your giftedness is in the church? 1 Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians over and over and over again. You got the whole head covering passage? 1 Corinthians. So there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot that we're going to learn, but you need to be ready. Come ready. Take notes. Bring your Bible. Follow along. Pay attention. Make church a priority. If you miss, go online and, and listen to the lesson. Be ready. Be ready to grow in Christ's likeness. You, Christian, have received the grace of God. The result of that is you have been enriched, you have been endorsed, you have been equipped. You now have his eagerness because of the investment he has made in you. And now you are to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. John MacArthur writes, Paul takes the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians to show the believers who they are. Saints, holy ones, sanctified. The rest of his letter is built on this foundation. You are holy, therefore act holy. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, what a treasure it is to be able to gather together and study your truth. We love you and thank you. Pray that we would enter into this study eager for the return of your Son and eager to learn and grow in Christ's likeness. We love you, Father. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.